Praise God. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Amen. The AKA means also known as God. We're going to look at a few uh, names in scripture, but God reveals himself by a few names. And really when we're learning these names, we're learning God. We're learning what he's like. When God reveals these names, he's revealing himself to us. And when you know God, it has a profound, profound effect on your life. Life is different when you know God. So hopefully you've already opened up to Psalms 23. Uh, That's when one of these names uh, gets revealed to us. And it's, you know, depending on how you pronounce it, the first letters of that Y-H-W-H, we call it Yahweh, or other people call it Jehovah. But Psalms 23 and verse 1, if you look at verse 1, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. Let me just stop right there and just say, if you were looking at the original Hebrew text there, you'd only see two words, Yahweh and Rohi. So the English adds that to help us understand, but really it's a name. Shepherd is part of his name in this verse, and David is the one who reveals this name to us. It's the first time it's being used, and David is revealing this, this name to us, that God is a shepherd, and the rest of the message we're going to be talking about and learning, what does it mean? If God is our shepherd, what effect does that have on us? What effect does that have on my life? If I really am trusting God to be my shepherd... Well, there's several things uh, a shepherd does, but there's one primary duty of a shepherd, and the shepherd is to get the sheep into the right place at the right time. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd lives with an assumption that I know better than these sheep where they should be, and it's his job to get them there. And David's saying that's God's job. I'm going to trust God to get me to the right place at the right time, and it really does have an amazing effect on our own lives when we're trusting God is getting me to the right place. And I'm not the, I don't have to captain my own ship all the time and I'm not constantly in, always directing. I'm trusting God to do some directing. So verse one, and we're just gonna read through here because the rest of this Psalm really reveals what life is like living under a shepherd. When you truly trust God as your shepherd, this Psalm shows you what it's gonna be like. Number one, if the Lord is my shepherd, then I have all that I need. Well, that's saying one or two things, that if God is your shepherd, he's the great Santa Claus, and you will, he'll give you everything you ever want. Or B, it could be saying that when you really know God is your shepherd, that you trust him to bring you everything you need, that God is all you need. And I think that we know that's it, that God ultimately is going to bring everything into our lives that we need. Verse 2, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. You notice that? He leads me. See, God is leading us. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Once again, you see this is all directive. David's saying, God is leading me. He's guiding me. He's push, He's getting me down that right road, bringing honor to his name. Verse 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. I think we all have fear in life occasionally. So why, why did David say he, he would live without fear? When you really trust that God is your shepherd and leading your life, even when you're in a dark spot, you know he's got a purpose and a plan and fear doesn't dominate your life. I'm not going to be afraid, he says, for you're close with me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Now, the rod of the shepherd, we think of that, well, that's that big stick that the shepherd uses to club, you know, the wolves and the bears and and it may occasionally be used for that, but 99% of the time, you know what the shepherd's rod is used for? to bump the sheep back into the right place. That's what a shepherd's rod is used for, is to get occasionally, even forcefully, get us into the right place. That's the purpose that they have that rod, is to get us to the right place, going down the right road. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. 
You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. And verse 6 is really the culmination. If we're really trusting God as our shepherd, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me. Will you say that word? Say pursue. When you really recognize that God is your shepherd, he's the one putting in the energy. He's the one guiding. You recognize that God, his goodness, he's actually pursuing me. Yes, I'm supposed to seek God, but it it does something to your heart and mind when you realize, wait a minute, God is actually pursuing me. His goodness is pursuing me. Your love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So David is the one who reveals this name to us, and now we're going to go and just kind of look at his life. Take, Take a few pit stops in the story of his life to see how, what, what effect did it have on David when he recognized that God was his shepherd? I, don't, I can't prove it, but I think that maybe a part of David believing that God was guiding his life started at the very beginning of his story. The first time we see David, he's out tending sheep when the prophet of the nation, Samuel, gets a word from God to go to Jesse. Jesse's David's dad. Go to Jesse's house because I've chosen one of his sons as the future king of Israel. So Jesse has eight sons. David is one of those. And the prophet sends a message, I'm going to anoint one of your sons as the future king of Israel. Prophet didn't know who it was yet. Jesse didn't know. So he's just, Jesse's supposed to do one thing, gather up all your sons. So Jesse has them all there except one. Who? He has everybody there but David. We don't know Jesse's thinking. Maybe it's just because David was young. But in In Jesse's mind, it wasn't even worth bringing David to the party because he knew it couldn't be David. Now, as parents, I mean, we could never confess it, but do you you ever have that thought in your mind? You'd never say it, but it can't be Bubba. (laughs) We will occasionally have such a random thought. We would never voice that. But Jesse, he, he not only thought it, he acted on the thought. He didn't even bring David to the party. So the prophet's there. Excuse me prophet is there going through, you know, each of the sons, endeavoring to hear from God, you know, wait, is this the one? He stands before the first one. The Bible says he's tall and handsome. He probably looks just like Tom Pequeno, you know, just a rock star. And the prophet thought, surely this is the one. And God said, no, don't look at their outward, outward appearance. God says, I look at their heart. I look at the inside. Gets through the seven standing in front of him. And the prophet is kind of dumbfounded. He's like, well, God hasn't said any one of these are the one. And he looks at Jesse, are these all of your sons? Jesse says, well, I mean, there's David, but couldn't be David, right? Prophet says, we're not going to sit down until David's here. So somebody runs and goes and gets David. He comes back. And the bottom line of the story is the prophet, God speaks to the prophet and says, this is the one. This is the future king of Israel. But I think, just think about this. Think about the story in David's mind. What did he just figure out? you know what, even if I'm just doing what's in front of me, tending sheep, I'm doing the last thing God told me to do, I don't have to figure everything out. If I'm not in the right place at the right time, God will get me there. God will send for me. God will get me to the right place. See, the world will tell you that you, it is your job to figure everything out. It's your job to make sure that you're shaking the right hand at the right time, that you're always connecting, especially with the important people, because if you don't make, if you miss one connection, man, that could have been it. That could have been your big shot. Do you know how stressful that is to live with that belief 
that I ultimately am completely responsible to make every connection. Now, I know we're sitting here and we kind of laugh at that, but you know, to the degree that we kind of lose our faith, we live with that pressure, don't we? We live with that feeling that, oh man, just one mess up. If I, if I don't shake that one hand, if I, if I miss one party that I should be at, if I miss one conversation, it's a lot of pressure. And it ends up producing a lifestyle where you're going to end up making a lot of mistakes. If you're your own self-promoter, you're going to end up making a lot not only forget the stress you're going to live with, you're just going to make a lot of mistakes. But from the very beginning, David wasn't even invited to the party where he's to be anointed king. And David, he starts his story with God, realizing, you know what? God's my shepherd. And if I need to be here and I'm here, if I'm, this is no excuse to be lazy. David's working hard, doing the best he can with what God put in front of him. But how many believe this? How many have experienced this in your life? That if you're doing your best with what God puts in front of you, God has supernatural ways of getting you into the right place at the right time with the right people. And God will work that out. Has anybody anybody seen that in your life? That's what a shepherd does. So David starts his story there. And you'd think, okay, I've just been anointed the new king of Israel. I mean, like the next day, he's, he's in the palace, right? Gang, it's 25 years before David is actually the official king. He's been anointed by this prophet, but Saul is the king. And Saul is, at this point, basically a madman. The reason God sent the prophet to anoint a new king is because Saul has abandoned God. He's abandoned doing God's will. He's even experiencing some wild emotional ups and downs. He's being tormented, the Bible says, by an evil spirit. I think in today's modern world, he would be diagnosed with probably several different names, but he's having some wild mood swings. And these mood, spring, these mood swings end up resulting in a lot of trouble for David, all right? Because Saul's the king and he wants to protect that. Now, Saul doesn't know that David's been anointed as the new king. And in the middle of Saul's emotional moments, you know, one of his advisors says, Saul, you need to find somebody who can come in and play the liar and worship. Because if they'll play and sing, it will relieve you of your, of your torment. And you know, when you first hear that, you know, you think, how could that be possible? How could somebody just coming in, playing on the lyre, you know, produce such an effect? Well, I, just to prove it to you, we happen to have a skillful lyre player here today. So Tom, come on up here. Now we don't have, this is not an, this is not an actual lyre. It's the closest thing we have to it. A lyre would be actually a precursor to a guitar. It was a stringed instrument. Uh, it would actually be about that size. Now, David's wasn't plugged in, but I'm just going to prove to you the profound effect that when a, a, a skillful lyre player plays, you, you just watch this because we're all, you know, you know maybe, you're having, maybe you're having an emotional moment here. Just check your mood after this. Go ahead, Tom, and show us what a lyre sounds like. Go ahead, Tom. Bottom line, David is called in uh, to play and sing. And I think throughout David's life, he's asking this one question. He's asking, God, why do you have me here? God, why am I here? 
why do you have me here? David has this assumption. If God is the shepherd, he's got this rod, he's directed me to the right place, that wherever I'm at, David isn't going through life assuming that I'm just, you know, walking this road. I'm just deciding wherever I want. He's assuming God is directing events and he's trusting God. You you must have me here for a reason. So he's asking a different question than the world asks. The question, the world is asking this question. The world is asking in every situation, how does this affect me? How do I get on top? How do I protect myself? That's the basic question that human beings ask is how do I protect myself? How do I get on top? How does this affect me? I think David's fundamentally, fundamentally asking a different question. And that's, God, why, why am I here? Why do you have me here? What do you want? And when you're asking that fundamentally different question, well, number one, it starts, that question starts with an assumption that God has something to do with having you there. And it ha- has a profound effect. Well, the first story that we're going to see David asking this question is Saul in one of his emotional moments as David is playing and singing, and, or, and the Bible says it, it has that effect on Saul. It, it, it relieves him of his torment while he's playing that one of those times, after David's been doing this for quite some time, Saul has one of those emotional moments, and he happens to be holding on to a spear, and he takes it and he throws it at David, endeavoring to kill him. Now, Saul's killed people before, and he endeavors to kill David. Now, how many of you would say, you know, that you know, just pray for one thing is pretty cool. And, and, you know, God, I really do. I want to be all about you sending me to, to people and, and I trust you. But how many, it, once your prayer for one tries to kill you, you'd probably abandon your mission. Do you think you might? Don't you think you would? Well, the most amazing thing about the story is, is David doesn't quit. He keeps going back to play for the king to sing. And again, it was having that effect. It was relieving Saul of his torment. And again, it's having this effect because David is trusting God. But just the very fact that he goes back, I think is indicative of David's asking a different question. I think in that spot, David is a man of prayer. I think he's asking this question, God, why am I here? And bottom line, the answer he gets is, David, I want you to go back. I want you to serve. I want you to keep giving. I want you to keep serving. I want you to stay there. I, don't, I honestly don't think that David had this thought in, in his mind. Well, you know, God's sending me back, so that means that it's, there's no possibility of me being harmed. I don't think he thought that. By the way, you know that you ultimately can't truly, truly, truly enjoy life and truly live free and truly enjoy the grace until you lose. The Bible says the ultimate fear on planet Earth is called the fear of death. Until you recognize that God is your shepherd and he's leading you, and by the way, odds are pretty good that you're going to end up dying, right? I mean, what are, what are the percentages on that, by the way? Anybody know? What, the mortality rate is hovering right around what percent? 100%, yeah. Until, but I think David got that. And I think he realized, you know what? Maybe. Maybe this is the plan. Maybe this is how I go out. God ends up taking us all off this planet, right? And, and most often it involves a little bit of pain or discomfort, that leaving the planet part. And I honestly think David's thinking that. Okay, God, you've got me here. You want me to stay. You want me to keep doing this. All right, God, if this is the way I go, I mean, that would be a mildly romantic way to go, right? Take one from the king, a spear from the king. And when you get to heaven, everybody's got their story to tell. You know, how'd you go? What happened? I took a spear from the king. You know, I mean, how many get to say that? (laughs) I think, again, David's asking a different question. 
God, why am I here? He's assuming that God has him here. He, did, he doesn't think that he's playing in front of the king because he's probably the most skilled in all of the planet. I think he believes, God, you've worked this out. You got me here for a reason. So let's go on from there. And the next time this happened again, after David comes back and continues to serve the king, we don't know exactly how long, but at least a year later, the, the king Saul tries to take his life again. Throws another spirit, David, endeavoring to take his life. By this time, King Saul has, got, has gotten wind of the fact that David's been anointed as the future king. So he's trying to you know, protect his position. He tries to kill David again. And this time, God gives him the release to leave, to just flee the king's presence and no longer be there. And for the next 10 years of David's life, he's on the run from the king. Now, camping can be fun a little bit. Um, but let me ask you a, a simple question. How, how long is camping fun for you? Now, now not glamping, no, no electricity, zero electricity. How long is camping fun? I want some actual answers. How long is actual camping fun? How long? Give me days. Just put, hold up your hands with how many, how many days? 10, four, I got fours, fives, 10. Wow. Actual camping, 10, five. Do I have any totals? I got a couple of zeros. How many give me a big zero? <laughs> that actual camping is a zero. No days. Well, did, would anybody say 10 years, no electricity, camping? It would be awesome. No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, that's where David is. He's not, not, not every day for those 10 years, but for a, a good chunk of those 10 years, he's living in caves. And it's not cool. Now, David's human, so I'm not suggesting that every moment, you know, is filled with this faith of God. I know you have me here for a reason, but we can prove, you know, going back to the story, that David did believe that. And you know what? Again, even when you're having your 10-year camping experience, it still has a shocking effect on your soul and on your mind and on your thought process and on your joy level if you actually believe God has you there for a reason. And somehow David got it. How can we prove David got it? Well, on one of those occasions, Saul is trying to kill him. Saul gathers an army, the army, chasing down David. And David's, you know, hiding in one of these caves. And the Bible says Saul went into the cave in order to relieve himself. I think you know what that means. But the bottom line is Saul didn't know David was in that cave. I mean, if Saul would have known David was in that cave, he wouldn't have, you know, turned his back and... He, ha- he didn't know. He didn't, you know. he didn't think, oh, I've got David pinned down. He was chasing David, but he, he didn't think he had him pinned down. He didn't know. So Saul's in the cave, and David's men, they're obviously much further back. They see him. And, and David's men, the exact words they say to him are David. Now, again, Saul's trying to kill him. It's been going on for 10 years. I mean, Saul's declared war on him, and the normal thing when somebody's declared war is, well, war is all's fair in love and war, right? You fight back. So the men tell David, David, here's their exact words, David, David, I'm sure they're whispering, David, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity. Now, what are they thinking? This is your opportunity to kill him. This is your opportunity. David, God has set this up. Look at what God has done. This is your opportunity to win. This is your opportunity to end your problems. And again, that's the way the world thinks. What's in this for me? 
And they might even, even people in the world will throw God in the middle of that. And they say, oh yeah, God set this thing up for me. God just worked this thing out. But oddly enough, it involves you stepping on people. It involves you harming somebody on your way to the top. Again, what question is David asking? I really believe David's asking a fundamentally different question. God, why do you have me here? God, why am I here? And I think David agreed with his, with his men. I think he actually did. I think he said, you know what, guys, you're right. This is my opportunity. This is. But it's not the way you think. Not the way you think. No, no, no. This is not that opportunity. You're right, guys. This is one glorious. This, this is odd that this all got set up. But guys, wake up. This is, this has been set up by a great shepherd, no doubt, but it hasn't been set up for me to kill him. This has been set up for me to prove my faith. This is a test, no doubt, but it's a test of my faith. And gang, we're all in that spot and we're all proving. And our whole life is the opportunity to prove, are we actually trusting God or are we the manipulator are we the one who's climbing our way to the top? Because if you're climbing your way to the top, you will abuse some people on the way. You probably don't even recognize it. Most people who do that, they don't even recognize it. They don't even know they have. It's just the people you ignore, the opportunities that you ignore. David's asking a different question. God, why am I here? And he gets the revelation, this is a test. So rather than harm Saul, he just goes and he cuts the, a little bit of the corner off of his robe so that after the king leaves, David goes to the top of the mountain and, you know, shows him the little corner of his robe and proving to him, I could have killed you, but I, I mean you no harm. I want nothing but to help you. I've served you all these years. And, you know, Saul, of course, realizes it's a proof once again of, you know, David's heart. But the Bible says an interesting thing, that even that little cutting the corner off of his robe grieved, that saved David's conscience, the Bible says his conscience was grieved. He was grieved even of cutting the corner off of his robe because what does a person of faith ultimately believe? If your faith never gets to this point, it's not real faith. Real faith ultimately believes that God is the one in control. God is the one in control and God is the ultimate rewarder. God is the one who sees everything. And David didn't, even, David didn't want to harm Saul even in the smallest way. And you think, well, how much harm is that? Good gracious, cutting off the corner of his robe. It sounds small, but what if right now you turned around, you, had, you felt a little nudging behind you, and you, you turned around, and the person behind you was cutting the corner of your coat off right now. You turned around, and they, they, they had like a scissors, and shh, shh. You turn around, and what's that? Now, it would be a small thing, but wouldn't you think that was a little bit odd? How many of you think that a little bit odd? Huh? Would you be like, maybe my last time at Life Church. You go there, they cut off the corner of your coat. What's up with this place? There's some weird people there. What is my point? My point is, you're right, it is a very small thing, but it is a thing, isn't it? It is something negative, it is something, and David, even that small thing grieved him. David didn't want to be a part of of pulling Saul down in the smallest way. He believed, God, you're big enough, you're big enough, and real faith in the real God doesn't manipulate, it doesn't control, it doesn't use what it has. And, and gang, there's so many thousands of fingers this has, this manipulation. As men, we know how to use our power in different ways to just, I mean, it's subtle, but we can just manipulate in small ways. I mean, women, they, don't have, they have no ways they manipulate, right? <laughs> Nothing they might be able to use, right? 
Ladies, you have a clue what I'm talking about? Holy cow, ladies, help us out. Cover it up. Help us, Jesus. All right, moving on. <laughs> but we do. We just, you know, use what we have to manipulate in small little ways, just little, little ways. David didn't even want those little ways. He's like, God, you're big enough. You're big enough. If you want to get me there, God, you're big enough to do it with me loving people, serving people, with me being a giver and rather than a taker. You're big. How many believe God's big enough to do that? That you being a giver rather than a taker, God can get you to the top. Well, we go on from there. And of course, and by the way, whether or not, and I hope you'll get it, I hope that you'll get it, but whether or not you've got your blue band on yet, and whether or not you've joined Life Church's mission of, I mean, pretty much every week you hear us talk about pray for one, you hear us say this prayer, God, send me one person today to share your love with. Can we pray that? Let, let's just pray that right out loud. God, send me one person today to share your love with. Now, maybe you've been coming here for a while and you still kind of think, okay, that's their cool little program. But I'm not into programs. I'm just into Jesus. Well, that, that, that may sound cool, but here's the bottom line. that you're, hopefully, you don't, hopefully you don't wait until you die and stand before God before you realize that's how God does it. That's how God builds his kingdom is he orchestrates and he puts people on the path of other people and expects you to have a positive impact on their life. That's God's entire evangelism plan for the world. That's it. It is it. So this isn't our little program. Now, this is helping us remind ourselves this is just the way God rolls. This is how he works. He's a shepherd. He's moving us to the right place at the right time. And smart people recognize that and they and I think that was David, and hopefully that's us. And you know what? When you pray that prayer in faith, God, send me one person today. It, I think the first effect it has, it has an effect on you. It starts opening your eyes and, and asking God to open your eyes to what potentially is supernatural, something that you may have thought was just completely normal. All of a sudden, ding. Ah. It opens doors to other people's hearts as well, and all of a sudden, they're a little bit more open to hear. And then ultimately... Once you have that, uh, that meeting and that, uh, start having that effect, and especially if it's somebody that you're with more often, do you know one, one of many, many effects that a true believer has on somebody who doesn't know Christ yet? But one of the effects is exactly the effect that David had in Saul's life when they first got together. David was called into Saul's life to relieve him of torment. Let me make you a guarantee. If you know people who don't have Christ There's this thing called security. And I don't care how much you have in the bank, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know God as your shepherd, if you don't know that your life is being directed, not just your eternity, but there's a plan here and now. And you've gotten to that point where you're trusting God and the fear of death even no longer has a grip on you. If you don't have that kind of relationship with God, there's some torment in your life. There is. There's some. You may not be like Saul and you're having wild moments, but there is some torment. And you know one of the most common effects of a, of a person of faith is your joy ends up rubbing off. Your joy becomes a little bit effective and people want that. And quite honestly, they get relieved of torment in your presence. For just a couple of minutes in your presence, there's just a little bit of that joy rubs off. But we have to be living in that kind of faith. We have to be trusting that God is our shepherd. If we're in the same panic mode, if we're asking the same question, they are, how do I get on top? 
How do I make this work out? If we're on that same hunt, we're not going to have the effect. And that's what God wants for us. All right, so one last example from David's life of what it's like to live under a good shepherd, what it's like to know he's your shepherd. We have to tell, I mean, the classic David story. You can't tell a David, David story without telling the ultimate story of David's life, and that's the story of his great sin. That, by the way, this story of David and Bathsheba is it's not only one of the most famous Bible stories. Do you know that almost everybody in the world, whether or not they've ever read a Bible, you go out in the middle of a mall, right? To the main mall, the, mass majority, the vast majority of those people know the name Bathsheba. They know it. It's that popular, that is that well-known of a story. Well, let's go back and just relive this and just realize this story, before the Bible gets into the story of Bathsheba, it has one verse before. Now, you have to understand, David, this, this was written much later. David has been communicating with the author of the book. And David got this in there because David knew good and well how this played out. And there's this one verse before the story of Bathsheba and David play it out. And that verse is this. It says this, that in the time, in the springtime when kings go, go off to war, essentially it just says David stayed home. Now, why is that in there? Because David remembers all too well. See, the whole message and the whole, I think, David's revelation is God is my shepherd. And if we're thinking God is a shepherd with a rod, then he's moving us in the right direction. So this whole story begins by David saying, oh, got it. I knew it. I knew I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I knew God was guiding me out here. I knew God was pushing me out here. I knew where I was supposed to be. But is it possible, even though God is moving you to the right place, is it possible to resist him and reject him and say, I don't care where you want me. I don't care what you want me to do. Is it possible to fly God the bird? Is it possible to just say, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want. And just, I'm going my own. Is it possible to do that? How many have done that? Oh, we've done that. And when you're in that spot, and you, you know that you should be here, and you never have to wonder, hmm, am I in that spot? You never have to wonder, because when you're in that spot, you don't have to wonder. You know I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be on this channel, I shouldn't be in this spot, I shouldn't be with these people, and you know it. You don't, need, you don't even need to pray to know it. You don't need to phone a friend. You know it. And when you are pushing God away, saying, God, I don't care what you want, I don't care what you think, I'm going to be where I want to be. I'm going to do what I want to do. We can do that. But that's when real trouble begins. Is we've already, we've already pushed him aside, says, God, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to go. Well, in that scenario, then the story of David and Bathsheba, which again, that's when our mess comes. We're no longer following the shepherd. Well, you know the story. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Ultimately, a child is conceived out of this adultery. David has Bathsheba's husband sent you know, into war in such a way that he gets killed intentionally. And probably around a year after this event, the prophet, you know, the, the nation's prophet, the premier prophet comes in and pronounces this judgment to David. Tells him, you know, David, you know, just bottom line, announces God's judgment, God's anger over this situation. And the child that David and Bathsheba had conceived ends up falling. As a punishment of David and Bathsheba, the child ends up dying. Now, you've got to put yourself in David's mind right now. What's he thinking? God has obviously pronounced his wrath 
I mean, this, this has been nothing but my own sin from start to finish, but I'm going to go back to it. I think David is still asking in this spot where he's in. You know, now this child is, has died. God's judgment is on this entire situation. I still think David's asking the same question. What one question have I said David's asking throughout his life? What is that question? God, why do you have me here? Just stop right there and, and ask yourself. Because you, your head would say, no, 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 no. You, you don't ask that there because God has nothing to do with you being there. Is that true? Is that true that once you have resisted God, that God just throws his rod away? I guess I can't guide them any longer. I mean, they've said no to me. They've resisted my will. Therefore, I mean, God just loses all power. Is that true? That God no longer can guide and no longer get us into even a good place? Gang, a lot of pain came as a result of this sin. It wasn't just one child that died. There was a lot of family pain that, that started as a result of that. But is that the only end to that story? Is that the only result of that story? I think in this spot where David is standing, his child has just died. He's gotten clear revelation that this whole thing, I mean, now by now he knows, the whole nation knows of his sin. He knows, I, I think even in this spot, he's asking that question, God, why am I here? And I think it's a very healthy thing to, re- to realize this, that I am never the only will involved in my life. I'm not. Not, not if, it's a big if, if you ever one time in your life prayed this prayer, God, I want your will. God, God, I want your will. How many of you prayed something like that at least one time in your life? God, I want your will. You ever prayed that one time in your life? If you ever uttered those words one time and you meant it, you have just freed the hand of God Say, all right, even when, God's not going to you know, manipulate your will, but even when we choose, he's still involved. And, and where you end up is not the product of just your will alone. Even when your will is nothing but sin, you're still not on your own. And where you end up is the product of not just the force of you, but it's the force of you and God, and you end up in a different spot than you would left on your own. So even in this spot, I think he's asking a different question. God, why am I here? And the most miraculous thing, and I think it's probably true of all of our lives, the the most miraculous thing is what happens after our big mistake. Because if you haven't yet, you will discover that you are going to have some mistakes. You're going to have some sins. You're going to have some really bad moments in your life. The, The story of your life is really told on what happens next. What happens after you realize you're a sinner? What happens after? Well, what happened after, I think, is, to me, one of the most profound stories. And it's, I think, honestly, why David is revered as he is. Now, we know that that child ended up dying. But is anybody aware of another child that came through the line, the lineage of David and Bathsheba? Down through the lines, there was another child that came into the earth through David and Bathsheba. Thousand years later, Solomon would have been the next child, but how about a thousand years down through Solomon's line comes a guy into the planet Earth? His name starts with a J, ends with an F. <laughs> Everybody say Jesus. Why in the world? David had lots of sons, a lot of them. Why in the world does God choose David and Bathsheba and, and, and he calls it out, he points it out in the New Testament? that Jesus came through that line to get to David. Why? 
Because God loves faith. That's what he loves. And real faith knows that God is always a good shepherd. How many are thankful that even when I'm stupid, he's not? Are you thankful? Are you thankful that God does not follow my emotional trail? Anybody thankful that when, in your big funk, he's not in a funk? Sometimes we think that. I'm in a funk. Well, God must be in a funk. Really? God's just having a bad day because you are. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm glad he does not track with my emotional trips. He doesn't. He remains good. He remains God. He rem- and he's the good. Everybody say the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd even when you're the bad sheep. <laughs> he's still the good shepherd. And the good shepherd still has a rod. And the good shepherd is still, and David knows God. Logic would tell you, at this moment, this child, this child is dead. Logic would say, God's wrath is obviously on this entire thing. And the best thing I can do is just kick this woman out. That's what I think what, what most men's head. If you're just thinking, what's in this for me? God's wrath is on this. This is nothing but trouble. Get rid of her. He didn't do that. The Bible says he went to her. By this time, they're married. Yes, it's a mistake, but they're married at this point. He goes back and the Bible says he comforted her. You can't comfort somebody when you don't have some comfort yourself. How did David find comfort? He knew this story isn't over. He knew that God's a good shepherd. He knew that God's a redeemer. That's God's nature. That's who he is. He's the good shepherd. He's going to get us back to a good spot. So he went back and he comforted Bathsheba. They ended up having Solomon together. And again, through that line comes Jesus because God loves faith. And faith believes that God is a good shepherd and that God is directing and that God is involved and that God is merciful. Anybody glad that God is merciful? And he is good, and he will. And there's an if, if I will trust him, if I'll go back. Now, if David is just going to continue sinning and continue, no, we're, we're not suggesting that regardless. But gang, we wouldn't be here today if that was the road we were choosing. We've all done that. We've all kind of told God we're going to go our own way. God is merciful. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? And friends, I'm going to pray, and we're going to wrap this up. But just drawing this together, will you just take a moment just sitting there being thankful that you serve a merciful God, a merciful good shepherd. And maybe, maybe you feel like right now your life is a product of some wrong choices. Gang, it's time to breathe in some fresh air and realize the good shepherd is still on the job. And if you'll trust him, get you to a good place. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord God, that through Jesus Christ, our greatest sin has already been atoned for. And Lord, if we'll just trust you. So Lord, we do that today. We trust you. Let's pray that out loud. Will you say, Lord Jesus, I trust you to guide my life. Let me just pray for you now. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you open our eyes to your grace. And we want to live that life of trusting the good shepherd. We pray that in Jesus' name.